Welcome to another episode of the Imperfect Scientist. The podcast to uncover your strengths and to empower you. And I'm very happy that we have a powerful guest today. <laughs> No, really, Uta, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. Not only the topic is fantastic that you chose, but also um, Uta has been a very dear colleague, a very impressive colleague um, that I've we've known each other now for, I don't know, 10 years or so, 10, 15 years maybe. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to discussing this topic, Uta. Yeah, I think like we, um, Uta, I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk in a second, sorry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think uh, I was just going to say that like we do with all of our guests, um, I'm, I'm super excited to have you, Uta, and um, why don't you tell us um, a little bit about yourself, uh, about your, your career slash life path, and how we ended up chatting today, which, um, which is always what, what we'd love to hear. Okay, thank you. Uh, so... First of all, thanks a lot for inviting me. Uh, it's a pleasure to listen to your podcast. I haven't listened to all of um, the different sessions yet. Uh, so I am particularly looking forward to listening uh, to the one with Andrew. Um, and um, because, yes, at Ohm University, we do know each other. It's a small university. And, of course, we work together. So my name is Uta Schmidt-Strasburger. I'm the scientific director of the Advanced Ecology Study Program. That's an English-speaking non-consecutive master's program of Ulm University, uh, and it's run by the medical faculty together with our Comprehensive Cancer Center. And basically, this is a four-semesters course uh, for oncologists uh, or physicians in general, who are treating um, patients with oncological diseases and for scientists. And uh, the students follow not only some lectures, but they're supposed to write also master's thesis. Uh, so I'm teaching a little bit of uh, scientific writing as well. And through the course of those two years, usually relationships get closer and Uh, we find uh, a lot of common history and, uh, of course, a lot of common goals. And resilience is one of those. And so what do you need to know about me? I, I was born in East Germany uh, and I attended primary school in Russia because my uh, parents are scientists and they worked uh, there in the... In the Eastern European uh, equivalent of the CERN uh, for three years. Uh, so I do speak Russian. I didn't then, know. <laughs> Russian. And uh, then uh, I changed schools frequently uh, for several reasons. Um, the, one <laughs> the one I liked uh, most was the one uh, where I stayed longest. Uh, that was the um, special school for mathematics, sciences, and uh, technical subjects. And uh, that there I was one of four girls in a class. So there were uh, 14 boys to start with and four girls. And that was a unique experience. Uh, that I studied 
biochemistry at Leipzig University from 1990 to 1995. And then I moved to Dresden for my PhD. I worked on tumor suppressor genes and prostate cancer. Afterwards, I went to the University of Geneva and uh, I worked in the Department of Physiology uh, to teach heart physiology. So I do speak also French. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and then I moved back to Dresden. Um, then I had my daughter uh, moved to Ulm. And I've been here ever since. I worked first in the Institute of Physiological Chemistry and for six years, really, as a hardcore researcher on a tumor suppressor gene, uh, of course, and um, what it does um, during development and during um, postnatal periods. So that was, for me, uh, the best research experience that I could ever have. Um, because in those early days in Leipzig, before I started to study, I was member of the um, I was member of the they called it Schüler Akademie, so the Academy for uh, Pupils. And one of the sessions that I used to attend was the one on neurochemistry, and so uh, I learned something about synapses and spikes and spines. Uh, and uh, whatever you name it, uh, in a dark library where they had really a row of conserved brains. Uh, and it was, Oh, really? It was both creepy, awesome. but, uh, but also uh, very, very inspiring. So I loved those sessions. And uh, still, my mother being a radiologist always drew me also to tumors. So the first... Um, native speaker that I ever heard was when I was in seventh grade. And it was some person talking about um, a Hodgkin's lymphoma model in the mice and he came from Australia. And so that was my first interaction with uh, a native uh, English speaker kind of. So but I think it's interesting that you also changed school so often. Maybe we come back to that at some point because that's also a matter of either uh, a reason for being more insecure or a reason for being more resilient, right? I can remember I also changed school six times. And I remember that, you know, the last ones, you just knew that this was going to be a hard half year, but that afterwards it would work out anyways, right? Um, and, and this already, I mean, this is one point also with resilience that when you know, you know, what's going to happen in the end, you can actually go through a lot of, problems and issues like you have when you when you change school no maybe um, maybe let me let me interrupt just so there. Um, for me for me the changing of schools was um first a necessity of course when i came back from russia i had to attend no matter what school uh, but i was um also insecure because i had a completely different uh, orientation and i didn't function as a regular Eastern German person. So I didn't know any of the Western German telly shows and I didn't have any connections. So I was a little bit out of my element and probably it took me so long to get my groove. Uh, and the last school that I attended, the one for mathematics, natural subjects uh, and technical sciences, uh, 
that was the one where we were all nerds. So it was really, <laughs> it was for me, it was first time I really school wise, I experienced heaven on earth uh, because uh, we knew we had some, um, some predilection for, for the sciences or for informatics, uh, for mass. And this was the part nobody ever frowned upon and nobody mocked the other one for being good at a particular thing. And, you know, kids can be cruel. And uh, this, so I, I found that um, situation always more easy to deal with when you had some people who were spirited a little bit likewise. And, and we're going to come to that, right? There's these factors that make um, impact on resilience and then the skills. What I loved also in our discussion before the before before the session was that you said, you know, there's skills that you can actually learn. And it's not like um, I've never thought about resilience that much before. I thought either you are or you're not, but that's wrong, right? And and can have exactly. these skills to to learn to become more resilient. And and since you suggested that topic, I've been thinking about that because it's I think it's it's everywhere, right? It's um it's permeating not only professional life, but life. Um, so yeah. I think that's a, that's a fantastic topic. I just, I just want to like sort of introduce the topic <laughs> because we've, we've been, I mean, we've mentioned resilience a number of times now, and of course it's going to be the, the uh, tagline of our episode, but just to make it clear to everyone that we are going to talk about resilience today and already in your introduction, Uta, there were so many interesting points that um, I would love to to take a deeper look at in your life, um, going in the direction of resilience, right? As you said, this moving often, changing schools, um, being on earth, but also finding your ground, like you just said, in a school where um, where you had common ground with with other kids. Um, your parents being scientists, there's so much um, to be learned about that. And, and resilience is the topic of the day. And you picked the word of the day that I think is very fitting. So uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce it? Word of today uh, is bamboo. That's fantastic. Excellent. And, and um, why did you pick that? <clears throat> Because once upon a time, my younger brother offered me a book uh, of a person who went through a lot, uh, who really went through a lot. And she described herself as being resilient and, in fact, These days, she does a lot of resilience training, and she wrote that book, and uh, she called it also the bamboo principle. So you can, uh, you just move it so that it doesn't break, and it always snaps back. Uh, and this is kind of a nice metaphor for for resilience. So of course, uh, we all feel some sort of unease in certain situations. But um, what resilience means also that uh, you you will find you, you will get to a state where that does not break you. And uh, I think that's a very important thing that the things that happen around you, the things that happen with you are something that you can make the best of and uh, really learn from it and, and make that well part of your life. And bamboo is a fantastic 
um, image because I mean, on the one hand side, it's it's very well, it's very versatile, right? You you can make all kinds of stuff out of bamboo. I mean, in Asia, I've seen construction. How do you call that? Where they you know where they build high risers with constructions out of bamboo for the for the builders, which is incredible. So it's such a strong and resilient um, material. I think that that image is fantastic. I think for me, what really, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting word because when you, when I read bamboo, for me, it was like bamboo is not that, you know, like it's not that flexible. Um, in my mind, I was thinking it's, it's really not like I could think of plants or other images that would be more flexible, but resilience is not about being like super flexible and adaptable. It's about, like you just said, it's about being able to bend just enough that it doesn't break, right? Um, and by the way, speaking of resilience, since the audience will be hearing some background noise at the moment, and we just disclosed last week that uh, I became a mom recently, I'm um, I'm hoping to be resilient in in having also my baby here with me. So some of the background noise for me is going to be very normal everyday life. Um, stuff happening so life happening in the background just uh that the audience knows and, and like i said the bamboo image i i love it that it's just the point of not snapping right to the point of where you can make the best of it and i like that concept of you making the best of it so um you the receiver actually taking some level of responsibility some level of control and being able to start something with that so uh, maybe you can elaborate on that thought a bit Mika. um I've given it some more thought uh, recently because as um, scientific director of the study program, I'm also participating in the program director's retreats of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO. And some years ago, I think it must have been four or five even, I went to a training where there was a person, very inspiring person talking a lot about resilience. So I wasn't unfamiliar with the topic, but um, he brought to my attention uh, several aspects of resilience that I found very empowering and that I, right now, I can't hesitate any longer to, to share with you all. Great. Uh, because I think it's, uh, it's a lot about taking, as you said, taking responsibility and We've discussed um, victim roles uh, with Daniel before the yeah. session. And I think it is really uh, about you defining yourself, who you are, what you want, where you want to go, and developing an additional skill set that is not soft at all, uh, but rather that uh, allows you to live your life consciously and uh, in a, in a fulfilled way and that you really take responsibility. And I think this is a part of the scientific scientists growing up uh, process as well. And I think that's also never ending. So it's, it's kind of an interesting topic. And the person that I've learned that from is Anthony Beck. And uh, Tony is a palliative care uh, physician. He's an oncologist as well. And uh, he, did some exercises with us, but he shared also some other resources that I will share throughout uh, our time together today. Mm -hmm. Tony? Beck, B-A-C-K. Cool. Yeah, yeah that's, um, if, that's if, so you, if you use whatever search engine uh, you're using and uh, type in Tony 
back and resilience, you'll get there eventually. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I really, uh, I would like to pick up on, on two things you just said. One of them is is the fact, I think I've said it enough, you know, like with Daniel as well, that I don't like the word soft skill or the expression soft skill so much um, because because they're not really that soft uh, in my mind. They're like, they, they are really core skills for life. It's yep. not just even for, for scientists to complement their scientific skills, which, which, which we assume our audience and scientists have. It's really things you can, you can use for life, right? Um, and, and it's mostly life experiences that permeate into the scientific life that, that, that then make a difference, right? Um, you're probably going to find a lot of personal examples of resilience and responsibility and so on and all the topics we discuss management, self-management, time management, and whatnot for interviewing, that, then you are specifically, if you specifically look at your professional career, so it's it's really life experiences, right? So core experiences for life. And the, um, the other one is the, the responsibility, which is a word that I, um, I think we've discussed this in the past in the podcast. If you break it down, it's the ability to respond. And, and we have talked about this in, in previous episodes, I'm sure, but it doesn't hurt. I mean, this struck with me so much, you know, like the ability, your ability to respond, uh, because usually when you think of responsibility, it has kind of a negative connotation or a doomy, gloomy kind of connotation where you think, oh, my God, it's my responsibility. But it is actually empowering. It is your ability to respond. So, but I... I challenged you here with the soft skill because I heard your episodes before and I do know that you don't like the term soft skills. Right, <laughs> then you know. <laughs> I'm very and sensitive to that. To that, to that so I, I, I know that. Uh, and uh, this is why I said it's not soft at all. Uh, so it is a very hardcore skill set uh, because, as you said, it primes you for life and it makes everything that you do uh, in a way more meaningful, uh, but it is also uh, enabling you to, uh, um, well, endure is a little bit too passive, uh, but uh, to, to really make the best of a situation. Yes. To and uh, for the responsibility, uh, yes, uh, response is one thing. I could also say take charge of, uh, and but take charge of, as a woman these days, even in Western Europe, it's still something uh, that people frown upon. So I think the responsible thing to do is to call it responsibility. But it is, uh, I think... Uh, a way of living to indeed take charge of your own life and not to, to make yourself a victim in any way or, or to, uh, to, to stay on the passive side. It's, it's really an act of uh, partaking in a process. Yeah. And this is what's, in my eyes, important if you're participating in your life as an active stakeholder, this makes it, first of all, so much more fun. Uh, and of course, it makes all the difference. Yeah. And it's one of the skills from Covey's seven habits, right? One being proactive. So if you 
Um, and, and I think that's one of the aha moments that I had when I looked at resilience uh, for this for this episode, this aha moment that it's actually not something that you either are or are not, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a set of skills that you can actually work on. And if I when I looked at those different skills that you can work on, I, I felt like that really resounded with me that um, this is something you can improve. Yeah, I fully agree. So <clears throat> I would like to focus on one publication of Tony, uh, and uh, this was published in 2016, and the title uh, is something with palliative medicine uh, and resilience. Uh, so Tony, working in palliative medicine and uh, oncology, of course, is faced very often with difficult scenarios in his life. And uh, he described uh, a model where part of resilience is an individual skill set, and the other part is workplace factors. And both of them can contribute to a healthy amount of resilience. But on the other hand, uh, it means also that even though you yourself might develop the entire skill set uh, for uh, the resilience, if the workplace factors are lacking, if they are not there, uh, then this means uh, there is a situation where the only way of showing resilience is to resign. And sometimes changing the workplace is also a measure of, or most of times, it's a measure of self-preservation and actively putting a a stop into an unpleasant situation where maybe you don't have enough control, maybe you're not rewarded in an appropriate manner, maybe yes. the community is not there or there is no uh, visible fairness uh, or a lot, a lot of intransparency. Yes. And, and if values of a organization are not clearly um, communicated, and if the workload is not calibrated, then uh, this is all um, a set of workplace factors that may contribute uh, to the opposite of resilience, which uh, would be a burnout. And I think it's very important to bear that in mind uh, that being resilient means also uh, recognizing what your strengths are and putting a stop to a potentially abusive situation that may happen more often than not in science and in um, an area where there is a lot of um, uncertainty. Yes. And, and I mean, it doesn't even have to be resigning already. Already the possibility of being aware that this is always an option to resign or having a plan B, a valid, viable plan B, already increases at least my resilience a lot. And I mean, I, I quit my first PhD after two years. I think I've mentioned that now several times. And knowing, I mean, at that point, I thought like I could never let go of that PhD, right? I thought my career is over. It's game over for the rest of my life. And this knowledge that this is ab absolutely not true, right? There's always the mm -hmm. day after the catastrophe um, and, and the next day, is, well, the next morning will always always come. Already this knowledge that, uh, you know, there is the option to at any time drop things 
or um, that there's a plan B that's in place and that is working, that could work very well. Already for me, that raises my, my resilience levels. Um, I can be much more relaxed with you know, the, the situations that you just described if they are bad at the, at the workplace. Mm. I agree. And I also think, um, based on what you just said, Uta, for me, for our audience, I think one of the very, very interesting topics to delve into would be that other part of the circle, which is under our control. So that, that skill set development that you just described and where Daniel said the aha moment, you know, like of, of realizing that you, you, are, you are capable of increasing your resilience level, um, even though sometimes the resilient action might be to quit or to consider quitting. Um, if we focus on that other half of things you can do, um, can you share some some tools uh, that the audience would find useful with us? Um, yes, of course. Uh, so um, maybe I should name those skills first, like they are in, in Tony's paper, and then we can work from there. Uh, so uh, the, Tony described uh, the individual skills that you start working from strengths. And this is the first and I think most important part uh, to recognize that you have strength uh, and whatever your strengths are, uh, sometimes it might be interpersonal skills, sometimes it might be analytical skills, but really recognize your strengths for what they are and uh, then make the best of them and, and really uh, yeah, start from there uh, and move forward. And then uh, to track activation. Activation means you become an active participant in whatever process you're in. And uh, tracking activation means also that you rejoice in your activation. So you are not only an active participant, but you are also happy about being an active participant. I think that's a good thing to start with. Healthy boundaries uh, is something we all need to practice, I think, no matter whom it comes to. So we are all parents. So yes, sometimes we can say no. Uh, now with a newborn, you can say no less frequently, but you can say no to other obligations in your life, Eva. And uh, I think this is also important uh, to maintain boundaries uh, to stay on a healthy side. And uh, regulating emotions is something that you can do. We will come to that later. And uh, also to express reasonable expectations. Of course, uh, it would be nice uh, to become, I don't know, whatever prize winner. Noble. But being a prize winner uh, does not make you a better person. What's really uh, important, I think, is staying authentic and true to yourself. So if you are an introvert person, uh, it doesn't make any sense to change gear and, and pretend being an extrovert because you think this is being expected from you or you expect from yourself to make more friends or more connections with whomsoever. So stay reasonable within your expectations and also uh, place the expectations of others towards you into a reasonable framework. And finding meaning, uh, this leans a little bit towards um, religiosity, uh, but uh, it may also mean that 
there are moral principles. So, of course, as scientists, uh, we are not supposed, to, uh, or at least as, as natural scientists, we are not supposed to um, express religious beliefs in anything. And some of the experiments that we do might seem strange to others. We have to justify those um, uh, experiments by the meaning. So what is the real scientific framework that we do? Why is it really ethical to conduct this? And why is it maybe even a good thing to conduct this? Uh, so there is really a ladder of meaning uh, and, and justification. And, and Daniel wants to say something. Yeah, I would, I would expand on the religiosity. I mean, to be religious uh, makes lots of things very easy. So that's a good thing, right? I know people yeah. who are very religious and they have much less issues that they struggle with that I struggle with, right? Um, because there mm -hmm. suddenly is meaning, there is reason, there are fundamental rules mm -hmm. that, you just, that are just in place and you don't have to question them. So I think that's, that's good. But I would like to expand that because, um, I mean, after reading Harari or others, um, I realized that there's this, I mean, it's good for, we constructed or ethics are hardwired, like fairness, mm -hmm. uh, morality, mm -hmm. and so forth, are hardwired into us so that we function better as a group. So I can totally explain as a scientist of why those things exist, like ethics and morals, because it's good for the team. And be even being aware that this is the biological reason why it's there, I still can follow those rules and and get meaning from you know helping the team or helping the group or helping people that are close to me mm -hmm. and following ethical uh, moral guidelines also with people i don't know um without even having to have to be religious and even without having to believe that those ethical foundations are coming from somewhere no yeah. they come from biology that's my belief but it's yeah. still giving me lots of meaning to you know help help my children help my team to do something that makes sense for men kind i wouldn't place it that high but at least you know produce adding to the knowledge of mankind is something that is meaningful yeah mankind being the the crucial word here Uh, if you really want to put it on a level of humanity, uh, we can also go with the, uh, I think they were defined in 2015, the sustainable development goals. So as parents, of course, we want to pres preserve uh, the world uh, or make it a better place and uh, level out some of the inequality that uh, is there. And if you go to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, you will find the meaning there and it will make a lot of sense to work those and put whatever you do into one of the points that were defined there and there are targets and you can define many of your actions with uh, the targets that had been uh, defined by the sustainable development goals and this is just a very humanist approach uh, so you can leave Uh, whatever religion out of that framework, which means, uh, which means also that you will find a common ground with many people uh, because you don't have to discuss uh, religiosity, uh, but you can find uh, the common uh, good and, and you work uh, towards bettering uh, the world as it is now. And, meaning, and I think that that helps a lot. 
Yes, it's true. Uh, believing that this is meaningful, what you're doing and, and helpful is building a lot of resilience um, and, and can motivate so much, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, the last one, and I, I, I'm quite sure you're, this is why you interrupted me. The last one on this list is the commitment to long-term. <laughs> it's uh, um, in my experience, uh, the longer you know somebody, uh, the more you love them. And uh, so love in not a physical way, but uh, you you're more appreciative of this person. Uh, you are appreciative of all facets of that person. And uh, basically this appreciation, mutual appreciation ideally, is something that helps you uh, to ground yourself and to also be uh, well kept in your social network. Yes. And this, I, I, I think this is a very important aspect. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, we were discussing also before the episode, you know, the different kinds of relationships with actually friendships being very flexible and open and there's a wide range of possibilities that you have in friendships that are might not be available when it comes to you know um, um, partnerships with with a single partner um, but what I love also what you showed and and you're showing this again right now is this um, toolbox for actually I think it was even uh, designed for um, you know, it was designed for medical doctors or at least for, no, it wasn't. Okay. So I got that wrong, but it's, it's a toolbox, yep. right? For yep. developing. Yep. <clears throat> exactly. So this is also a resource that I heard of, uh, from Tony Beck during this, uh, program director's retreat and it's a website called psychology tools, uh, com. And, uh, What they did last year when the pandemic hit, they released a guide that was entitled Living with Worry and Anxiety Amidst Global Uncertainty. And it's available in many different languages. And uh, what I like about this guide is it's not only applicable to the corona pandemic, but it is applicable to all uh, situations where there is some uncertainty. And I think a uh, scientist path in the normal world is speckled at least with a certain degree of uncertainty. You never know whether that first experiment works out, whether the next one works out, whether the repeat sequence works out or the next level. So the, on diff at different uh, steps in your scientist career, there are things that can go wrong and you may have to bury one or the other hypothesis. And of course, uh, this might slay um, um, a path uh, that you've envisaged for yourself and you will have to deal with it in some way or other. So you have to adapt uh, to the, this uncertainty. And uh, I find it meaningful to give it some thought. Uh, and of course, Being the person that I am, of course, I realized in hindsight that probably I've been more resilient uh, than I gave myself credit for. Yes. And 
I think it's one of the few advantages of getting of getting older. I mean, getting older is is not so. At least that's one of my big topics. It's not so easy. <laughs> one of the few advantages that there are when you get older is that I think I become more resilient with in in several aspects. And this PDF that we're talking about, you find that under psychologytools.com under downloads. Um, it's it's called Living with Worry and Anxiety Amidst Global uncertainty and i what i love it's it's this toolbox right it's it's really yeah. fantastic well i love the venn diagram first uh, so <laughs> well-being <laughs> uh, well-being is the shared uh, part between pleasure achievement and closeness or connection yeah, and i think those are really the three magical words so there is a hedonistic part Uh, to all uh, that we do uh, and that that is part of our um, of our well-being and I think this is also important to acknowledge because uh, I, I think I recently posted that uh, a quote from uh, from Elizabeth Blackburn uh, that um, I just have to check it in my gallery uh, so because she said um uh, Suspense. Uh, suspense. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, Uta, while you're looking for that, I just um, yeah. want to make a comment on, on something that caught my attention. Of all the tools you mentioned and all the things that were there on that list, um, one, one, one common topic for me was being able to recognize and express also um your your values essentially right i mean like you said setting boundaries being able to to also say no recognizing the situation in which you are and all of those are for me um things that have to do with values right uh, with with being aware of your values and with being able to express them to it in straight through to them and once again and again we come back to this um to these values right um so so for me um a very very interesting connection again to to values and and in fact also this venn diagram that we're showing where there is pleasure achievement and closeness coming together to define well-being is essentially defining also very important values um, to stick to, right? Um, yeah. in, in defining that well-being. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think that's important. Uh, so of course, uh, the, the, the closeness and connection, if you're sharing values with others, uh, then uh, of course, uh, that that's something that contributes to your well-being and being in a team moving forward uh, towards uh, a common goal makes up uh, already a good uh, workplace probably. So yes, it is kind of intuitive, whatever is explained here, uh, but sometimes uh, for me as a more logical person, it helps to see it on paper. I can't find uh, the Elizabeth Blackburn quote exactly, but more or less it says, Uh, people will never find find out what fun we are having uh, as researchers. Uh, yeah, so it's <laughs> yeah, and 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 this is basically it. Uh, so we do have fun, and I think uh, yes, the outside world might not or might be oblivious to the fact that science by itself can be uh, funny and can contribute to to our pleasure in general. So it's not just the hard work 
uh, it's really also the fun in designing the, the, the coolest experiment ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, then uh, the, the part that we were uh, like um, talking about for, for a few seconds was uh, the, the regulating the emotions uh, and uh, the regulating emotions can um, also well be achieved by using one of those activities that are kind of uh, like a menu uh, and they call yes. it really activity menu to yes. give you some ideas to stay occupied. Yes. And uh, of course, really just emotional things like expressions, you laugh, you cry, you sing, you shout, or you scream. Uh, this might be part of um, regulating your emotions, but uh, there are different other things uh, that you can uh, do if, um, if something needs to be regulated and yeah, I mean, you can point out whatever you like best here. Yes, what, what I would like to, to point out is that the first step before regulating emotions, at least for me, is to be aware of them. And, yeah. um, and what, what I would like to really uh, emphasize here is that I started saying, you know, when people say, let's keep it professional and let's not make it emotional, I want, I think that's wrong. I want... Mm -hmm. Um, to establish the, 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 the concept that professionalism is actually being aware of the emotions and including them because they're there anyway, right? Science is being yes. done by scientists. Yeah. So we're all human people. There's lots of animalistic um, stuff happening all the time. The emotions are there, period. Yeah. There's no way of separating emotions from work because they're there in the workplace. So what I would consider acting professionally is being aware of them, making them transparent as the next step, which is, you know, out of comfort mm -hmm. very much, especially for scientists, to put them on the table and say, well, I feel strongly about this. I was, you know, angered by this thing that you did or whatever. And I think acting professionally means including the emotions mm -hmm. so that you can actually Yep. handle them and maybe ultimately regulate as you say or or um you know trying to channel them or or yep. use them because they're all biochemical processes and saying they're not there is just not true i fully agree with you on that and uh, we had this professionalism uh, discussion before the session so yes i fully agree uh, that once you realize you experience certain emotions that may impact uh a part of your decision-making process or the pro process you're in, in general, I think it is meaningful to express them as I emotions. So I'm feeling that. Uh, but I think we must be also aware of the fact that uh, describing emotions from other people may um, make them feel um, more on the defensive. So uh, yeah. it is, I think you can, uh, the best way as a team leader uh, is, uh, I have the impression that this is the case. Yeah. Is that so? Uh, so if you're really addressing that and, and what can I do or can, what can we do um, to address that? Uh, I think it is very difficult in a professional setting uh, to handle emotions and 
to handle emotions appropriately without uh, ridiculing them. And uh, it's a particularly sensitive issue without ridiculing the person that is in front of you. Yes, but you're talking and, now about emotions of the other person. I would say when you start with talking and making transparent your own emotions, yes. you're going to be you're going to be fine. Um, please check whether the other one is uh, has got his or her antenna out uh, to receive your emotions. Yeah, okay. Because good. we might we might overload them with our emotions, and they not might not be able to handle those. Yes, so we're moving. I more think more. we yeah. must be more careful there uh, on that. Or what do you say, Eva? I mean, I think um, it's a delicate topic, right? Because um, expressing emotion is not something that everyone is kind of capable of. And again, it's one of those core skill sets that that I definitely would encourage people to to work on. And it is is kind of going back to the point that I was saying earlier, when, when you were listing the things, um that 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 make you know like that make up resilience like your resilient tool set kind of one one topic that seems to be very very much present in all of those is being able to recognize and express and and in that sense recognizing recognizing and expressing emotion is um is a, it's a skill set in itself isn't it um so so i i i agree that that it is part of being professional Mm, it is also part of 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 getting older or of um, not even getting older but of acquiring life experience i think as you you might be 20 and have a lot of life experience uh right and and be able to to be much more resilient and be able to be much more eloquent about your um feelings than others with 50 so age probably not being the def- the one defining factor uh, but logically, the one that usually goes with with more life experience. So, I think um, I, I think it would be a topic in itself, almost right, to to discuss expressing, recognizing, and expressing emotion. Um, I don't know how how you see it, but I think it's it's something that's very very empowering, definitely very empowering. Yes, I fully agree. Yes. Yeah. And it's probably also not, as you say, life experience. So if you take the opposite, right, somebody not having, I mean, they might be old, but they might be very limited in the horizon that they've covered during the lifetime. And I think that's also an issue with resilience, right? If you're only comfortable in a specific, very small spot and you're not used to being uncomfortable outside your comfort zone, um, then you might not be very resilient. I mean, I'm just putting that out there, which means in the opposite direction that if you want to become more resilient, you try things, right? You try lots of different things, you test them, and then that experience will take you a long way. What do you think, Uta? I would add even more, you have to be able to fail at certain points and to live with that failure. Because uh, otherwise, um, it's it's difficult to to develop further. So you have to uh, recognize also your own limits uh, and the boundaries, your own boundaries, the ones of others. So I think uh, a certain degree of failure is part of life experience, and it makes you more lenient towards other yes. approaches towards 
life towards research uh, and uh, towards kind of everything. That's that's actually so so true, right? So important the the experiences you make and especially the failures you experience or the tough times that you go through are going to set you up for being much more tolerant towards others others life experiences and others um potential failures yes. or inabilities to express your feelings or you know like to be even more empathic um with um with with others which which i think is also extremely empowering and a part of being resilient right and then and one of the building stones of, of becoming resilient being able to having having a, been able to process your failures having learned something from them having drawn the lessons from them and then being able to apply those principles to your next life experiences it also makes you more resilient against mistakes from others right the more mistakes you make yourself and i mean we had the the discussion that uh, how do you prevent making mistakes well you just don't do anything right the moment you do something <laughs> there is always the possibility of making mistakes actually the certainty at least in my case to make mistakes and The more mistakes you um, you do, the more resilient you also become against mistakes from the other ones. Good. So we're back. I think actually it's going to be the first episode where we need some cutting because if I uh, needed to drop out, I think it was incredible how resiliently she was handling this, you know, with a baby on the side. I'm still thinking of putting up a behind the scenes thing because we now have more than 1,500 downloads. This would be a fantastic picture, right? With her changing the baby and at the same time doing the podcast. That was hilarious. But I think there's some more points, uh, one especially that we still uh, want to cover because that's really a key point. Yeah. So I think we stopped at the point where we were talking about verbalizing emotions and uh, really addressing them. You might ask now, why is all this so important? And for one, I think it's important to verbalize it because it really brings your attention to something that you have probably already done intuitively. So you have shown throughout your career, throughout the different choices that you've made, that you have and you possess already a considerable amount of resilience. And by looking at that and appreciating the resilience that you've shown, you will be able to develop even more of that. And I think that's a very positive feedback thing. And I regard it as my job as a facilitator and probably you and Eva do the same, Daniel, to really put the attention of your trainees and the people you take care of towards their strengths and to make them shine even brighter, to polish them just a tad. And I think this is really an important issue. So many of, of my students have shown real resilience in their past. And I think by mirroring that, so by appreciating that, from my side as an outsider and, and verbalizing it, it brings their attention to their strength and away from the weaknesses, away from maybe difficult or even abusive situation at work. 
And in doing so, I think we, we build up more resilience because it's a positive reinforcement issue and we can, we can spread positivity like this. Yes, positivity and energy and being able to actually remain actionable, right? To remain, to keep in action and keeping moving. I have this one book that I'm looking at. It's called Who Moved My Cheese? Spencer Johnson, where he's comparing, you know, people, how they behave when things don't work out. I think they took the wrong decision, whereas there's no way of telling whether it's the wrong decision or not, right? Because it's a single sample, non-reproducible experiment that you're doing with your life. And he compares that to mice who look for cheese in the maze. And when they don't find cheese, they just, you know, sniff around, then turn around and try the next path. And this is also kind of resilience to remain actionable to remain to be able to keep an action looking back at your strengths to you know be aware of how to handle mistakes only if we don't learn from them they turn into they might turn into failures but otherwise you just learn from mistakes and to be aware of what your strengths are agreeing that this is a boundary that you're not gonna jump but you'd rather team up with somebody who can then compliment you nicely and be aware of the social ties and the social interactions that will make you more resilient and looking forward having maintaining a good outlook you know that the future i have one friend he's i'm playing volleyball with this guy for now a long time he's in his 70s he can't really move very much anymore because his knees are broken i mean they're old and He still, you know, he needs the volleyball to go directly right to him because he can't take a single step anymore. And he says he wakes up every morning saying, well, let's see what today has in petal for me. What crazy stuff is today going to throw at me? And I think that's, a, that's an incredible attitude. Let's see whether I can do that when I'm 70 something. Uh, <laughs> what's going to happen today? Let's see. Almost 10 years ago, there was a paper published and it's really entitled like the Oasis song, Don't Look Back in Anger. And this is addressing also some issues, how people face life choices and how much strength they develop. So it was actually published, I think, in science. And you may Google it even, Don't Look Back in Anger. And we might also shared the link for that paper. It basically says something that uh, one of my students investigated also during his master's thesis. He investigated how much people with negative effects can cope with a new tumor diagnosis. And oh, really? the result is that if you handle your emotions well, if you address them, so those are your effects. Uh, and if you handle them properly, you'll be better coping with life, uh, with work, and also, I can say now, with the tumor disease. I think this is so important that whatever is being thrown your way, you handle that with the amount of decency that you can muster up at that moment. And that if you look back what happened to you, that you take more a candid approach and you say, okay, what happened? But I made the best of it and I moved on. It was the point of 
no return maybe for a particular path. And then I moved on to a different direction and it gave me an entirely new perspective. And this is what I think life is about. Uta, I want that. Thanks for those, for that summary. That was excellent. It was a very intense session with you. Again, I think there were like three more topics that we came up with that would be possible. Thanks a lot for um, spending this morning with us, for going all with these issues in the planning and the flexibility. I thought this was an example of being resilient to all the issues that we had trying to find a date, the three of us, and then making it happen, the three of us with all our constraints. That was fantastic, Uta. Um, thanks a lot. I think that what I also loved is that there were so many tools and things that people can come back to and that there's a skill set that you can improve, that you can try and hone to be uh, more resilient. Fantastic. Uta, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me. And It was a pleasure. Look forward to our next interaction, Uta. So do I. Do you remember the last time we met in person? Uh, was that with Petra? No. No. It was with my students. And uh, it was just when the pandemic hit. They had just pronounced all the different uh -huh. measures. And I tried to hug you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I'm still not sure whether I should have uh, <laughs> 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 refrained from it or not. But you were the last person during the pandemic I'm trying to hug. <laughs> I'm so unaware of everything. Okay, Uta, Uta, here and now, I promise that the next time we see each other in person, we're going to go for the real three-dimensional, non-distancing hug. Okay, we're going to do that. Right, we'll do that. Okay. <laughs> Take care. Uta, thank you. Thank you. Ciao. It was lovely. Take care.